shall we begin? Welcome to Legion Quest. This is the premiere podcast for all things about the FX television program, Legion. I'm Zach Jenkins, and with me as always is Matt Sibley. Matt, how are you doing today? Pretty good. I keep writing uh, 2017 on all of my tweets. Ooh, yeah, you got to not do that. It's 2018. Yeah. It's a different year. It happens every January. I don't, I don't know how it's people still are still doing time. this. 2017 was like a decade long. I can't be faulted for... It was, it, it was a rough time. Almost almost as rough as this offseason. Though I guess if we're being very real, this offseason would have been a contribution to the length of that. Yeah, both of them seemed eternal, but we're now sort of past that. We are. We're out of 2017, and likewise, we can see the light at the end of the tunnel of this offseason. Legion Season 2 is coming soon, and we finally have just some talk about it. People are opening things up. We have something. We can be on topic. Yeah. Yeah, and this is all ahead of the show coming back in April of this year. So we're not we're not out of the thick of it yet. But we're gonna start getting trailers and we're gonna start getting like press. We're gonna get something. Which will be nice. Yeah. And we have a slew of details for today as well. We do, we do. Now a lot of this is coming from the Television Critics Association panel uh, that happened last week. I want to say yeah, it's like yeah. yeah, it's like a big two-week event, and each network kind of has like a day, mm-hmm. and they just you know, rotate through panels. Most critics fly out, and they, are, you know, it used to be like they ask a lot of questions because then they're like banked up for like a six-month period. Yep. But now, because everything's a little bit more instant, it's kind of it's all out there at the beginning like this. But yeah, we got some good, exciting news they actually started the panel with a clip from the second episode of the show or season two excuse me where david wakes up in a wheat field finds a fortune teller booth which i assume will be wizard of oz style fortune teller booth like this will be generic and he finds amal farouk who is the Shadow King, but this isn't going to be Jermaine Clemon, who he was possessing, and it's not going to be Aubrey Plaza. Uh, but instead, uh, the Shadow King is being played by Navid Nagaban, who he's one of those actors who you may not recognize the name, but when you pull up his IMDB page, you recognize his face immediately, and you said, yes, I've seen him in things for a while. Yeah. Like, I think when the announcement came out, people said Homeland, because he plays the Al-Qaeda leader in that for a couple of seasons. Yep. Yep. Uh, he's, I think most recently he is on the TV show Mistress. He's playing a yeah. role there. Uh, he's been in just a lot of different things as a, just kind of a supporting actor. But uh, yeah, I think with Saeed uh, Tagomali. Leaving the show, uh, Navid is going to be jumping in there, and should be should be interesting. They were they were saying that uh, yeah. Said wasn't a great fit for the whole cast, and that that stuff happens. It's not a criticism on 
the actor or the cast or anything like that. Sometimes you just don't gel with the right people. And that's all. And that's perfectly fine. It looks like everyone's parted ways and moved to something that's going to be a better fit. Yeah. And I think with the stuff that they said, we you kind of get the vibe that everyone's not really together. So it was hard to gauge whether Saeed would right. gel. And so, like the fact that that's a, you know, like a clip from the second episode, they would have had to have gone back and redone early stuff in the season. There's that kind of realization of, oh, if it doesn't work in this place, and it, you know, then it won't work later on when everyone's together. So we have to go back and try and fix them. Yeah. Before we're too far along. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Now, one thing they're they're saying about this season is, as the last last season ended, just for anyone who forgot. Uh, the Shadow King went off with uh, Jermaine Clement, and David got captured by a floating Pokeball. Yeah. So season two is happening a year later, and it seems like David has no idea what was going on in that entire year, from what I am reading here. Yeah, there's no indication of where he went, and you know, like if he's made it back. But there's some, you know, there's some gaps to fill in with his memory. Yep. And it's it's going to be interesting. I mean, Noah Hawley described it as if the first year was the story of an insane man in a sane world, then he was interested in looking at how David is now being the sane man in an insane world. Which mm-hmm. I like the I like the concept of if the stuff with David is going to now be the baseline of normal. I'm very interested to see where this goes. Mm-hmm. You know, back when we were talking about, we're not sure how it's going to expand in season two, like whether it would just be like, and here's Xavier. That turned out to be wrong, obviously. Yep. But, like this is kind of a way to build it out without really regressing or going through a similar arc of like, oh, it's all in his head. Maybe not. Right. Well, I mean. Like it's inversing it really. Yeah. And uh, and Holly, he mentions some of that in here talking about how, you know, we've established that David's not crazy. He doesn't have schizophrenia. He, you know, he is just, he's someone who's had this parasite living in his head, messing with his mind for years. And it's more of a metaphor and a stand-in for different mental illness stuff, but without the specific baggage that comes with that and comes with trying to portray that experience as universal when, you know, they can try and talk about just mental illness as a specific topic. Yeah, I think one of the, you know, the way that issues can arise when talking about mental illness in media is when it's kind of treated as like the be-all end-all. Like that one specific instance or like, oh, well, you know, at the end of the third act, he's kind of better in a way. So that, and the, we're talking about like collective mental illness or like cultural mass psychology. And like it, it, you know, it's it suggests that it's kind of sympathetic and acknowledging that it's not just like a singular struggle. And I think that's important for something like this, just because of the way that mental illness has been portrayed in media for so long Mm. that it's very easy to get it wrong, to do it poorly. I mean, even David, as he was created in the comics, he was, I think they, I think the creators, Chris Claremont and Bill Sienkiewicz went in, trying to be sympathetic but partly because of you know the cultural norms of the time and partly because it was a superhero comic still 
it ended up being that, oh, he has at the time autism, but he really has all these cool superpowers. And it wasn't always handled with the most grace. And I, no. I like that this team, that Noah Hawley and his crew are aware of that and trying to handle that well. That's I think that's something that's yeah. very important to a lot of people who are watching this show. It'll be good. Yeah, like I know we we you know we do treat it as Holly's show because it is, but the fact that there's a room there of other people sure. helping him, sure, and there's a team, it like it it moves beyond best intentions because it's not just well, it's not just one person being like, well, I think this is how it should go. There's that ability to talk it out and kind of follow it down, and then be like, oh wait, no, we need to we can fill around and you know, make it more sympathetic. So the the other stuff that was coming out of this panel is that, you know, since David's rescued from whatever Pokeball prison that he's been cut off from the world for a year, he starts to try and figure out trust and what what's going on. Can you trust these people? Is he being used? It's some of the, some of the themes that started to get touched on in the last season, but kind of quickly mm. got wiped away. I mean, I think, by what episode three, all of the, you know, can I trust these people or not issues went away and it started to be a bit more focused. So I think, yeah, it, I think, it kind of existed as like a subtext in certain scenes, but it was never like the underlying theme. Through. Yes. Yes. And I, I think, I do think some of that subtext is actually more of a meta subtext thing, not to get too deep into it, but everyone went into this show and the, first thing that they thought is what's real what can i believe what did or didn't happen can i really trust anyone like they went in with a lot of a lot of watchers went in with that very specific mind state of going in trying to unwrap this puzzle because that's that's just part of how watching uh television and film culture has really changed in the last little bit with you know the expansion of okay yeah. look, here's these wikipedia pages that have all these little details that you can try and you know thread it all together and i think what was very yeah. interesting that the show did they played a lot of stuff straight yeah and they they made it to the point of yeah th- a lot of this is what it seems not everything we're still going to throw some very good curveballs at you but i think they made they either culturally and maybe this was a complete accident, but the audience did a lot of the work for them to figure out just the, that overall feeling of uneasiness. Yeah. Like the, when, you know, once that first episode came out and people were trying to work out who was manipulating David, if anyone was, it's like, there's already kind of different avenues made with the show, not even pushing closer to one of them. Yeah. And, and to be clear, we're just as guilty as everyone else. We have oh, yeah, a Legion yeah. podcast. I was, I, was, I was talking around that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I spent a very long time trying to believe that Mojo was existing. Though, I, and someone brought this up on Twitter, if they want to make David the insane person, or the sane person in an insane world, the Mojoverse is a pretty decent place for it. Just just throwing that out there. Though I... People can- the train as and when they want <laughs> uh, that's not happening but it'll be nice if it does 
But okay, okay, we're gonna digress for just one second. We say that's a like that would never happen. But let's be clear: in 2017, on let's just bring it down to the Fox version of Marvel Television. Okay, yeah, we saw the Shadow King. We saw giant dance numbers. We saw the Stepford friggin' cuckoos. There's been a lot of weird stuff happening in Marvel television. The Fenris twins, the incestual German Nazi <laughs> rich horrible people are important in the <laughs> continuity of the show. So no, I don't think Mojo's that crazy at this point. Well, I mean, when, when you point out exactly what the Von Struckers are. For those of you who are not up on Gifted, the Von Struckers are not the teenage sibling main characters. They are their, like, great-grandparents. Mm. I think they are... It hasn't come out and said that, oh, yeah, that that's just a few generations back of incest. But yeah, it definitely was. They've They've had enough weird subtext. I oh, don't know, this episode's going to get marked as explicit. All of our episodes are marked as explicit. <laughs> okay, oh, oh no, I didn't know that. In that case, we're good. Yeah, we're good. We are good. Uh, now, as we digress from incestual uh, murder twins, <laughs> uh, they also talked about what's going to happen with Lenny, who is Aubrey Plaza's character, whose name I do remember. Yeah. Now, she's, it seems like just as... Uh, David's going to go through some transitions. Lenny is. And not just Lenny as the vessel and the the home of the Shadow King. But someone who's kind of in transition. So it's it's going to be interesting because you may have three people at least playing them all Farouk for the most part. Yeah, possibly. And then maybe Jermaine Clements. But then how many people are playing, like, I guess if, if there's going to be a lot of different aspects to Amal Farouk there, one of them, you know, mm-hmm. being kind of the classic comic-y uh, Middle Eastern guy with the tiny round glasses, some of it being Jermaine Clement, some of it being Ari Plaza. I mean, where does where does the break lie between this is one character, this is three characters, these are different aspects of the same character – like, how much overlap is all of Lenny, all of uh, what will be just, we'll call him comics Amal Farouk, or is there going to be a weird mix where Lenny's like 30% that overlap this, but she still has 70% of what was the Lenny persona still? Like, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they play that. Yeah, because obviously, like, the show is, it's, you know, it's switched between versions within a scene. I wonder whether each one could exemplify like a different aspect. Yeah. Like I th- you know you can have you know it, it is different because I was about to say like oh Lenny can be like the more dance number one but then you've also <laughs> got the fact that sort of Jermaine Clements dances in an ice cube in episode four. That is a true thing that happened. Man I gotta rewatch yeah. this show before the season yeah. starts. Yeah like the distinctions aren't super clear there. Yeah. Like maybe that's why they're paired up because it allows for like the scenes to be the absurdest kind. Right. And I guess I'm thinking more in terms of like autonomy and in terms mm. of what is the word 
that you use when a character gets to make their own choices. I am complete agency. agency. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. In terms of autonomy and agency, like is, is the agents, is there going to be a different agency for Lenny than there is for uh, Amal Farouk? Like, are they going to be just of one mind working together or is there different aspects that are going on there finding it? I don't know. I think it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah. In a way, the, the time jump will help as well because of the fact that, you know, in a way they could have dealt with these questions like enough to kind of play the scenes, but there's still going to be conflict between them if one of the versions thinks they should have more control. Mm -hmm. So I I think that has a lot of potential for some really engaging and interesting television here. Uh, So what what else did they go over, Matt? There's, Holly talked about practical effects. Right, which this show did a very good job with. Yeah. Um, But there's going to be like, chapter headings which are physically in world like a diegetic as opposed to like uh here's a title card where we cut like a black screen and then there's the words overlaid mm-hmm. it'll somehow be ingrained into the scene and you know maybe like they'll pan over it or something which I, like i think is like it's interesting mainly because it's about putting as much into that world as we can like you know a tv show isn't real but then there's this stuff which is real by nature for them being included in it as opposed to like artificially created on a computer and but as like an interstitial. Yeah, I think like the use of practical effects in this show has really elevated it. And it's it's something that gets bounced around a lot when people are discussing movies and TV. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think practical effects are necessary for every last thing. But there's a certain feel to practical physical changes like the that opening scene and see or not the opening scene but in season one when the kitchen explodes yeah it's a hundred percent practical thing and they actually went into a lot of detail of how they pulled that off it's amazing and it's visceral and because you're returning to that moment after moment it feels like a lived in space it's yeah it's to me bringing back to children's movies because that's all the media I get exposed to. Uh, it's the difference between like a full CGI movie and a stop motion animated film. Mm-hmm. Neither one is better or worse than the other as a tool. Cause that's all it is. is just a tool, but you use it for different situations. Like uh, my son's really into this movie called Kubo and the two strings. And it has some oh, yeah. situations where it is all stop motion, some situations where it is, CG, but one of their big set pieces is them fighting this giant skeleton monster, and it's a huge practical effect with like stop motion. And what they had to do is they like show the rig as like the last thing in the end credits. They show a time lapse thing of them building the rig and it in motion, and it is fascinating to see something that is a cartoon in real life, and it gives a much gritty, much more real feel to it, which is something that the practical effects in Legion have done very well also. Yeah, like with the kitchen scene, the fact that the camera is placed closer to David, it's not just like we've you know, made up like a three walls and then CGI the plates in later. Right. There's that chance to be in there. You can tell that it's actually happening. 
same with like the prosthetic of the Shadow King. Yes, yes. Like, if, that was, if it was just like, oh, we made like a CGI blob, then it would be harder to take that as menacing and serious because you'd sort of be aware of if it didn't look quite right or gel with like it's back the background and everything. Mm-hmm. No, it's uh, it's very exciting. Like, I'm, I'm, I think there's practical effects in the show half of what makes it, which is nice. They also mm, they also the craft. Yeah. Now the other real thing that they brought up, and this is something that I know is near and dear to my heart, and it's near and dear to our logo, is that mm. Dan Stevens says that David's hair will gradually rise more and more to meet the comic book legion this season. And I don't know if I believe him, but I want to. I I mean, it's gonna get bigger. Whether it's gonna be like larger than his head, that remains to be seen. He has a lot of hair. Comic Book Legion yeah. has a lot of hair. And there's been mm. artists who have tried to make it look realistic. And then there's artists who said, oh, this is a cartoon. I can I can deal with that. That's why there was such a long wait between seasons, because they were waiting for him to grow it out. Yeah, well, it's got to be a practical effect. You cannot do that as a wig. No, it would, it would be like watching weird, over-the-top, like, period pieces. With like weeks and stuff, it would just be kind of like towering over them. It would droop into scenes like a boom mic. Yeah. Now the the last the last thing to mention, and Hall apparently Holly at this panel said, "Oh, he's planning for a third season of Legion." Mm. So even though this show may not have had the most number of eyeballs on it in general, I think FX sees it as a valuable property to have like this big auteur piece that is both a comic book show and also just an art piece. I think Yeah. it seems like it's important to them. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's like, he said at the time he wasn't sure about what, like how soon Fargo season four was going to happen. Like he's thinking about it. FX is open to it, but there's no, like you must deliver it by 11th of January, 2019. Right. So like this would be what he's doing directing a movie in the summer, which is going to, you know, like eat into a schedule for season three, but like it isn't, there's no, there's nothing to suggest like these problems have put him off Yep. going like finishing up whatever he wants to tell. Right. And the, the one other thing I'd say to that, and I know this has been talk that's been going around the internet by people who are probably, just less in tune to how some of this stuff works. So as, as you, I am sure have heard by now, uh, Walt Disney studios is buying up 20th century Fox or 21st century Fox, whatever they're branding themselves at Fox, uh, which includes FX part of this deal. You know, everyone says, Oh, what's going to happen to all of the X-Men TV shows and movies and all that. And I can't give you answers on that. I can tell you that Marvel studios also produces Legion with, you know, Fox. So this isn't actually anything new for them. They just get to own the other co-studio that's doing it. But this has been from the start, a collaboration of the two. Also, these kind of deals take a long time to happen and you don't necessarily buy something and then burn up all the assets it had. You, you work with it. And if Legion has critical success and frankly, isn't exactly stepping on the toes of the MCU. There's no reason to get rid of it as long as it's doing good. 
No, I think like you know, there's maybe a reason to be apprehensive about movie projects that get announced because like the Kitty Pride one from earlier this week that doesn't have a date set or anything. Oh, that's never going to happen. Yeah, that's never I mean, going. Stuff to like that is more iffy. Whereas this with contracts and people already working on it and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, I don't actually know if I want a Kitty Pride movie to happen, but I would watch it. I would watch I a lot to- of it. Well, I mean, like, I saw the announcement was like, yay, Kitty Pride," and then I'm a little bit more apprehensive about Tim Miller, which, like, you know, whether you like or dislike Deadpool, I, th- I don't know whether that's enough of a, like, an idea of his sensibilities to be like, yeah, he's the right person to tell this story. I'm not sure. If, I don't know if he's the right person to tell this story or not. I, I, I kind of feel about it the same way I feel about, like, the oft-troubled and also will probably just never be released Gambit movie, where at least the people behind it, if you're going to be behind a solo X-Men movie and you're picking an obscure character like Gambit or like the Multiple Man or Kitty Pride, mm. and I, I say obscure as in you're not Wolverine because that's what yeah. obscure means to X-Men as a team. That means you care enough about that character and you want to see it good that you're you're advocating for a B, C, D list character like Legion to be mm. a thing. And yeah. like it we're we're saying I don't know if a Kitty Pride movie could work. We're talking about a Legion television show that did work. So who knows what'll happen there. Uh yeah. now speaking of the Legion television show and I guess a Legion as a product, he has a comic book coming out. January twenty fourth. Twenty fourth? Yeah. Okay, cool. Soon soon when this comes out uh it's just going to be called legion so it's technically his first titled solo series though they are going back and retconning all of the trades for uh x-men legacy by Cy Spurrier to just say legion x-men legacy or something on it hmm. which i mean look, i don't think that yet but that makes sense to me if if you've got this property and x-men legacy What's funny is it was named called X-Men Legacy because a Legion solo book would just not work in the mm. 2012 market. Yeah, and, when a big relaunch happens and it's like, we have Hickman on Avengers, you know, those smaller books gets kind of lost. Right, and X-Men is a bigger name than that, but now <laughs> Legion means something. Yeah. So it, it's interesting. Uh, it's being written by Peter Milliken, who a, a lot of people know from – ecstatics or shade the changing man uh and being drawn by wilfredo torres who has worked on moon knight and black panther and done a lot of very good stuff Mm. what do you think about this book and what's been said about it so far matt because where we left last left legion he had written himself out of existence yeah that's a big thing that happened to him i am Milligan. I haven't read everything that's like big to his name because Shade the Changing Man's hard to get a hold of, but Exostatics is really impressive as like a mute specific as a recent stuff. I like his Britannia series of Valiant, even though that's like more just like Roman alternate history. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do think it's a little weird that this kind of seems to just be forgetting about the ending to Spuria. Yeah, it's I'm someone who's, while I love the minutia of continuity, I understand that it should be a tool and it shouldn't 
shoestring you. Mm. But I also think you need to understand the balance of continuity does exist. And the only reason that this book is happening is because the show is happening. The only reason the show is happening is because they wrote a really good 24 issue series about David Haller. That book went on for 24 issues. Oh my gosh. Can you believe yeah. that? Is, that I, like, I don't even know what like the cutoff point for when that would happen is. It's like now definitely iffy. Well, a couple yeah, of years ago, it may have made it. Like, I don't know. I mean, that's, it's just so weird to me because even if it sold, I don't know what the sales numbers are and I don't, I don't much care. I know it wasn't the top selling X-Men book, hmm. but still 24 issues is a good solid run. Yeah. Like, especially when you consider the fact that like, issue 12 kind of ends as like a, we could leave it here if it turns out that it was being canceled. Yeah. That, yeah. That, that's like, a, we want more. From you. Yeah. So this is a five issue mini. And David is back. Now, the the weird thing is, it was something that I was looking over in interviews. They are specifying that, oh, yeah, David's back. And uh, one of his personalities is trying to uh, take over him, which is literally the first story that was ever told with him. <laughs> but they're, they're specifying it as... Oh, yeah, David's a uh, character with a disassociative identity disorder, what has commonly been referred to wrong in the past as schizophrenia. But hmm. what's weird to me is the way that Milligan describes it. He talks about Marvel Comics, did an interview with him and asks what kind of research he did to get DID right. And his response is books, pamphlets, internet. And I've spoken to a psychologist friend about the subject to try and get some different angles. The fact that very little consensus exists within the mental health community gives one a little license. It's very difficult to find the right way to treat this or even to understand it, which that quote doesn't inspire a ton of confidence in me with me because like the concept of mental health, you know, as like just the larger mass concept, which is what Legion, the show is doing. It, and what the X-Men Legacy run really did. I mean, it worked. But when you try and tie it down to things, to real-world problems that a lot of people have, it has a lot more potential to be mishandled. I don't know if it will. Maybe maybe it absolutely won't. But I think that's a very fine line to walk, and I I hope the book can do that. Yeah, I'll be like, I'll be honest, I'm looking at the uh, solicits for it now. And I noticed, like, mm-hmm. for issue three, it names the arc as, like, trauma, which it's a – it's kind of on edge is maybe, like, the wrong way for me to phrase it. Like, apprehensive, I guess. It, it depends on where it goes with it, yeah. I think. Because if it becomes a story about how, oh, this one event caused David Haller's mind to fracture and turn into this hellscape or this whatever – that's that's the wrong way to go about it when mental health is something that isn't controllable and normally doesn't have a specific fault. Now, there may be triggers that make things worse. There are definitely situations where specific instances can cause you know, more mental health issues. I'm not trying to discount any of those situations, 
but it's odd and it's odd to me that you know with x-men as a concept being something of this is something that is innate it's something you are born mm-hmm. with that that's not the angle that they could be going down i mean i haven't read the book i'm no. not sure where it's going to go so i i want to see it handled well the the only other problem i kind of have with this is this seems like what it reads to me is David's going to meet a psychologist and they are going to just team up and solve it. Like this feels like a very isolated, very standalone yeah. thing. I think which there is a thing to be said about the fact like this is a mini series versus an ongoing, like as a, sure. as, you know, related to Spurrier's run. If you're just being given five issues, do you want to, you know, do you have the liberty to spend say like two of those getting Legion back? Marvel Universe to then have like a very short three issue thing. It would be different as if like a yeah sure you've got twelve issues, but like when right. getting down to them that it, specific stuff. If this is like, I get like to compare Marvel and DC. The thing about like DC normally has like specific trades that you can go and get because they're like one off things. If this is an attempt yep. to kind of replicate that style of success. Because it's like, oh, you like this is one thing called Legion. It's five issues. You don't have to worry about anything else. You can just pick it up. And like, if it gets even if it gets around yeah. that continuity problem, if it's then running into issues kind of more integral to the character, it almost you know, it, like it undercuts everything it's doing in that sense. Yeah, I can I can see the benefit of that. I'm I'm not against it. The the continuity nerd mm-hmm. in me is going to be just very frustrated if it throws out all of the incredibly good development that the character yeah. had. Like it's not, Oh, well, you know, this obscure thing happened in 1998 in this odd mini series tie in. No, this was, this is the central thread yeah. of the character. So ignoring that feels uncomfortable to me. Hopefully it turns out good. Uh, what do you think about Wilfredo Torres's art mm-hmm. in this? Cause it's, it's very different than what was being done on the Spurrier run. It's very different than a Bill Sienkiewicz style that I think a lot of people when approaching this character have taken into account. Like what are your, what are your like thoughts on the it? three pages of preview art? Like it does feel sort of like all reddish kind of like, a yeah, like there's bit. that kind of pastel pop art stuff, but at the same time, the color, the colors on it are a little flat. Yeah, they're they're flatter. They're I think the colors are a lot less yeah, bold. Softer. It it it's a lot of very good clean lines, which I'm not against. That's that's yeah. a good look for a lot of stuff. Uh, it'll be the stuff that we've seen right now doesn't seem to get psychedelic. It doesn't seem to get really out there. So I'm I want to see how Torres can handle that. I've liked I've liked Wilfredo Torres on the stuff I've seen him do in the past. It hasn't been like you know the most mind blowing work, but he's a solid artist, and I I'm interested to see where this goes. Like it, it's weird to me that this series isn't inspiring a lot of excitement from me. It's inspiring some curiosity, but that's mm. about it. I think that is because it is kind of more unknown territory in a way. Like say with the like the New Mutants series. Matt Rosenberg's a lot more open on Twitter and stuff like that. Like we kind of get a feel for what he's doing and he want what he wants to do. Whereas like Peter Milligan, yeah. a little bit more closed off, yeah. but and with like a more complicated character. 
it's harder to know what we're getting into. Yeah, it, it, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. I'm still going to buy it. I mean, it's going to be five issues, and I run a Legion podcast and talk about X Men more than I should. So I'm exactly the target yeah. audience for it. So it'll be uh it'll be good. Any other thoughts you had on it? Has this been our most on topic episode in like since May? Probably. Yeah, probably. And actually, I do have one question. Oh, yeah, let's go for it. With, go. Him, with him, with Hawley talking about planning for season three, do you think that's like the end? Or do you think it's going to go beyond that? It's something I've been toying with just because of how long this off season has. Like, I don't know whether he'd want to commit to something which is like two months of airing and then 16 months away. I think the, the one thing that I can be sure of from uh, what Noah Hawley's done in the past is that he is not going to make a product that he doesn't believe in, that he doesn't have a story to tell. Like he is the exact opposite of a, I'm doing it for the money director. He Mm -hmm. really needs to feel passionate about something to do it. So as long as he has stories he wants to tell, I think he's going to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like I mean, season one could have just been, hey, here's the one story we tell, and then we just cut that tag off from sure. the uh, – yeah. and, and for the most part, it's okay. It's a bit open-ended, but it fulfills David's arc of you know, getting to the source of all of this distress in his life and – at least becoming free, if not destroying the you know distress. I think season two would be season two will have to kind of inform how much farther he goes. Like, yeah. I I think if the end product of season two feels like there's a lot of repetition, feels like there wasn't anything new to say. I think season three would be the last one, just because I can imagine him saying, just looking at the end product, saying this isn't what I want to keep doing. Mm. I'm not saying season two is going to be bad. I'm really hoping it's good. So Yeah, like there's nothing to suggest issues. Like changing an actor isn't really that it's big. It's not the craziest thing, no. So, yeah, I think that's going to that's gonna do it from us. Hey, everyone, thank you for uh, checking out Legion Quest. If you liked what you heard, everything about Legion Quest is hosted on XavierFiles.com. That's also where I put weekly write-ups about different X-Men, where we have the webcomic written by the co-host of my other podcast. It's called Mission Jubes. It's really cool. We have our X-Men Monday columns where we are compiling all of the news, rumors, hints of the X-Men world into one nice, neat place so you don't have to have eight different X-Men editors' Twitter feeds on send me notifications on Twitter like some people have to. Uh, And beyond that, uh, oh yeah, my other podcast, Battle of the Atom, that I do with Adam Reck, who also writes Fish and Jubes, comes out every Monday. We talk about different X-Men characters every week. This is... The first time anyone besides me and Adam is going to hear this, but this Monday we actually have Kelly Thompson, writer mm-hmm. of uh, what's it called, Rogan Gambit, which is a really cool book that you should read, mm-hmm. jumping on and talking to us about that, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, also, all this stuff just you can follow me at Xavier Files on Twitter, and you'll see it. Matt, where can people find you on the web? 
On Twitter, it's Matt underscore Sibley, also part of Newsrama's Best Shots Review Team. We, well, I say we, I had a sort of a break for the past month just because I had no sense of time while being back and when Christmas was and everything. But I'm back. There's like three pellets going out sometime this week about um, Mr. Miracle, Avengers, and Superwoman. So I have a new member of the team, Justin. No, you know, a second Justin. I've known him for a long time. He's great. And you guys should read what he had about Batman, White Knight, and Extremity this week. Nice. That's awesome. Well, everyone, this has been Legion Quest. We will uh, see you next time when we're going to talk about, hopefully, more good Legion stuff. Bye, everyone. David, David. David. Shall we begin?